Hello, welcome once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, once again, with your host Alan. This is going to be our weekly review show. Uh, we're going to be chatting about the best titles uh, released on the 29th of January, 2020. Uh, I have to say it was a quality week. It was a little tough actually paring them down this week. Wasn't it? So I'm delighted that I can pare them down and share them out with everyone here. So joined with... Vicky. Keith. And Roddy here. And how is everyone today? Not Roddy's bad. good after a wee day off of work, a wee day of reading. Oh yeah, a wee couple of days off. Uh, stayed up and watched the Super Bowl last night. Pretty good, pretty enjoyable. Had a few beers. Had a really good weekend actually. Did a lot of walking around Belfast. Did the Van Morrison Trail and then ended up in Coffee and Heroes. And to see our brand new brand new installation of our breakfast bar area. Oh, well, I had to try it out, you know. You know, and then <laughs> instantly the ignore it and go and sit on the sofa. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then yesterday I did did the uh, Glass of Thrones, uh, ran around Belfast and then went to, do you know, the Game of Thrones stained glass windows. So that was pretty cool, yeah. So yeah, what about you guys? Oh, we were all good. We, uh, yeah, as you say, we had Saturday nice and busy and then a couple of days of just a lot of... Uh, a lot of TV, a lot of movies, a lot of reading, uh, pretty much all of the above. Yeah, well, we had a well-deserved spa break from my family. We kind of went and did that. So did yeah, that sounds Saturday. nice. It was nice. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't feeling 100%, was having trouble breathing through my <laughs> nose. And I think they thought I had actually fallen asleep and was snoring. But uh, no, I was just literally trying to breathe. But I could hear them laughing at me <laughs> and talking in Thai. And I said to Vicky straight after, I really wish I could understand Thai. We, we've no said if, saying we, about me. if we go again, that we're going to set our phone to record what they say and, and then, then <laughs> translate it once we get out there. Because... It would be curious to know what they are saying about us and probably laughing at us. The yeah, only thing I can remember from my uh, from my break in Thailand last year before last is how to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I doubt that's what they were saying continuously <laughs> to us. Are you still a wee bit stuffed up? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I'm still, still, not, still not quite 100%, but, you know, uh, I'll, I, I'm, I'm not a complainer. So Unfortunately, fine. I have to go back to work tomorrow, so I'm just like... But it's been good because you've been at the store a lot in the last week and a bit. Yeah, uh, so it's been, it's been nice that I've been able to be there and I'm just wishing sort of I can be there more. And hopefully we'll the get there. The time will come. The time, the time will come. Yeah, we're getting there. So it's it's been good fun and sort of catching up with the guys that are there. So. What about yourself? Away for the weekend? Uh, yeah, myself and Bruno headed up uh, up to the home place, up the coast, um, just to, uh, just to, to check in with the... The family and uh, and some of the friends um, used the excuse of the Six Nations match on Saturday afternoon to go down to the pub and catch up with a, with <laughs> a couple of And I bet wherever you sat in the pub, it was with your back to any sporting event whatsoever. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> Guys, much. let's go and watch the rugby. Keith, you're not watching it. That's fine. Sorry, the conversation's good. <laughs> uh, you know, unless something exciting happens and it's, oh, then you're like, okay, I'll stop chatting for a minute. And then back to it um well i'm sorry to spoil this for you but nothing exciting happens in rugby so well sorry. i mean sh- it's a little odds <laughs> to me really um yeah so did a bit of reading um spent a bit of time with my, my brother and sister-in-law and uh, and the, the nephew who took his first steps which was nice to see um awesome. and uh yeah same my dad on that so yeah nice nice chilled out sort of a weekend back last night caught up with doctor who caught up with uh picard uh, stellar stuff. Yeah, they're releasing it weekly, aren't they, Picard? They are, yeah, same way as they did Discovery. So. See, I, th- I don't think we're necessarily conditioned to watch TV like that anymore. You know, we're, we're, we're such a binge culture now 
Vic and I started watching a show called The Outsider. It's a Stephen Keen adaptation. First couple of episodes directed by Jason Bateman. And it's thoroughly brilliant. And that's the reason that he's not been back to do season two of season three of Ozark yet. Well, I, I can't go into spoilers. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, we watched the first three episodes. We had four recorded. And now I'm dying to see the next couple. So we've kept one in reserve. Whereas I think we're just so used to having entire seasons just dropped in one go. Um, see, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed the way they released uh, Watchmen sort of on a, on a weekly basis. So well, we kind of uh, left it. Well, that's it. We, yeah. we, we left we it. We watch it week by week because obviously we're having a store and then having other things that we have to do during the week. It's some, sometimes we just don't get a chance to get in round to watching it. So we just like, we'll wait and then watch it all at once because it's just easier. But we should say we did finally finish it last week. And it was awesome. Oh, Watchmen? Yeah. Yes, very yeah. good. And thoroughly enjoyed the accompanying podcast. Because uh, I listened yeah, to the last part yeah, of that. Yeah, very good. So, very good. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a, there's as if there's not enough to watch. Uh, in the next week, Lock and Key is going to launch. Mm. Uh, Joe Hill put a thing up saying, I know this is probably going to change and it's only a few reviewers, but this feels quite nice. And it was on like Rotten Tomatoes when 92% or something. <laughs> Certified fresh, as they say. Uh, so I'm looking forward to Lock and Key because I'm a big fan of the comic book. And uh, yeah, I think that the f- this is their third go at doing it. It took three pilots to finally get it to a point where they were happy to continue making more. That's what pilots are for, I suppose. And well, that's it. So they obviously had faith in the material. So yeah, I think that's going to be a going to be a great one. Um, we just had a little quick watch there just before we started recording. Roddy said he watched the Super Bowl last night. The one thing that we don't get this side <laughs> of the world, which they make such a big deal out of, is the adverts. Uh, in the states, apparently, it co- a lot of the big companies this year set it out because apparently it cost five point three million for a thirty-second spot, which is yeah. incredible, it's crazy, incredible amount of money. But if anybody can afford it, it's Disney. So of course they were uh, they were doing Disney Plus uh, thirty-second little teaser, uh, focusing very predominantly on the Marvel shows. Uh, we caught a couple of quick glimpses of Falcon Winter Soldier, a couple of quick glimpses of Vision. And one little uh, excerpt One Division, isn't it? One Division, yeah. Uh, sorry, One Division. And one little very quick excerpt of Tom Hiddleston hamming it up as Loki as only he can do. Awesome. Although I did watch Jen, we did watch Jen Silent Bob reboot over the weekend. Oh, yeah. yeah. And there's funny. a great moment in it with Matt Damon where he talks about how, ask your parents, folks, I played Loki first. <laughs> in a movie called Dogma in the mid-90s. But someone noticed something today in store. It was actually Tommy. Um made made a good point not only did he play Loki in Dogma he played Loki in Thor Ragnarok he did yeah, yeah. yeah. because <laughs> he has the cameo at the start when he's oh, uh, in the, the play uh, that they're, they're the old father yeah, yeah. so uh, that was actually quite a cool wee thing uh, but yeah footage looked cool looked interesting uh, will it be enough to get me onto Disney Plus I don't know because we have 300 subscription services at the moment so we shall see uh, but yeah it looked cool Black Widow as well the trailer looked interesting. There looking wasn't forward to that one. I'm looking forward to it. wasn't much different to the main trailer, yeah. I don't think. I think it was just uh, sort of cut together from that. No uh, more trailers. That's it. No End more trailers. Yeah, we're, we're the same. Uh, and then just on the superhero movie front, I suppose, we've got Birds of Prey coming out this Friday. Uh, Vic and I are already talking about going to see it this weekend. It's not something I have to say I'm massively looking forward to, but the reviews have got my optimism up a little bit. Uh, Grant Morrison was very complimentary about it although whether he was fully lucid and awake during it I don't know Uh, but the likes of Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti Tom Taylor saw it as well and I know they're all obviously they're part of that industry and you know 
obviously have ties to DC and all the rest, so they're not going to say bad things. But I don't know. Just I'm grasping at straws here to try. No, and no. Look I'd, forward to it. I'd rather trust them than anyone attempting to, you know, like weaponize it and in that sort of way. You know, so I'm I'm very excited for it. Actually, I think love you, McGregor. I think it's going to be pretty good. I'm looking forward to it, actually. In terms of superhero movie releases, though, for a company, has there ever been a sharper left turn than Joker? <laughs> Next <Yeah>. movie, <laughs> Birds of Prey. <laughs> Those are two very different looking movies. Uh, Joker, we should say again, Joaquin Phoenix walked away with the best actor at the BAFTAs. Made he quite a walked away without it. As walked away without it, yeah. Uh, after making a rather good speech, calling out Hollywood as ridiculously racist, which, you know, Fair. Anything that brings more attention to it uh, can't be a bad thing. Uh, yeah, so yeah. not really much else to sort of talk about in the whole movie, TV show. How are you getting on with the, the, the giant the bone book? The giant bone book is still 770 pages into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I had a rather big pull list last week, so I uh, it may have taken a back seat for now. But this week's quite a quiet week, which we'll chat about later. So uh, I th- I'm hoping to get back into it this week. Sweet. But we do understand that you two managed to read a couple of things that Vicky and I had certainly thrown your way and yes. recommended highly. Yes. What about yourself, Roddy? Yeah, I went for finally got around to Punisher Kill Crew. Oh my goodness, what a fantastic book! Um, it's just funny. It's yeah. just <laughs> fun and funny. Uh, it was great yeah. coming off the back of uh, War of the Realms and what yeah. happened there, and uh, Frank Castle being Frank Castle for what was it, six issues, five, five, five issues. Uh, and just uh, yeah, effectively doing doing cleanup and revenge uh, after a lot of revenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Jerry Dugan and Juan Ferreira's Juan, Juan Ferreira's art is stunning. Yes. and there's a lot of what I really loved about it. It was like there's visual comedy with um, there's jo- uh, oh don't know do do I want to spoil mm, it yeah. for anyone? You can throw the odd uh, moment yeah. out there. I should say There's, this is a spoiler-filled podcast. But, um, <laughs> yes, you should. I got it in earlier than last week. Basically, I, I didn't at all last week. <laughs> <laughs> Had to leave that to Ronnie. Yeah. Uh, well, along the way, he sort of accrues a team, shall we say, and there's a lot of visual gags within within it. I won't spoil it for you, but it would make a really good graphic novel. Yeah, so. graphic just came out last week. Um, oh, got got it stuff. in store yeah. and... Yeah, it's just a fun ride. But um, for all the fun, there's quite a lot of heart in it too, which there is, is there's yeah. a surprising so, amount yeah. of heart. So I really, that, I mean, really enjoyed it. That's Jerry Duggan, like that's mm-hmm. Jerry Duggan is. Which you don't expect to see with it being Punisher. No. Because you expect <laughs> it to be absolute heartache. But well, yes. you don't you don't expect to see it in Garth Ennis's Punisher anyway. Well, yeah, this is true. But um, yeah, I loved it, and I couldn't speak highly enough of it. So yeah. Because that was that was a good couple of months. You that were kind of. Yeah. Trying Harp to get buddy. us on it. Well, I, Some I would say harping on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well. How, d- how dare you harp on to get people to read quality things? <laughs> yeah, it was a great recommendation, Vicky. Yeah. It was a great recommendation. And you, Keith, you finally got round to Die Hard meets Vampires. Yes, Charlie Adler's uh, Vampire State Building, which you were kind enough to loan me last week. Uh, that was four issues from that. Four just. Um, but yeah, I just gone I just, too soon. I just back to back them. Um, very much enjoyed seeing Charlie Adler's art and also coloured because obviously yeah. Charlie Adler you used to see in, in black and white at The Walking Dead. Um, yeah, I, I think you described it very, very well as uh, Die Hard meets Vampires in the yeah. Empire State Building. Um, yeah, it was very, very, very enjoyable. I'm really hoping it comes back. It's a, they did leave it in a, in a satisfying way, but at the same time, just a little sliver left open there. I feel like they've maybe cornered themselves a wee bit with that title. 
Yeah. You know, there's no, there's not really too much further you can go geographically. <laughs> Thirty years into the future when it's been rebuilt. You know. Uh, yeah. So anyway, well, yeah. Well, let's uh, move on to our. Oh, oh sorry. I beg your pardon. I'm getting. I'm, getting looks I'm surprised you you haven't been like basking in the me reading Batman. Oh, sorry. I do apologize. I'm still so shocked by it that <laughs> you know I still don't quite believe it. But yeah, I got home the other day and uh, noticed that on Vicky's side of the bed there was an open graphic novel. I thought, oh, what's she reading there? Which was um, Batman White Knight, because obviously Alan was talking so passionately about. Curse the White Light last week, so I felt I had to sort of give in a little bit and try a Batman story. Finally wore down. After nearly eight years of trying, so I thought I'd give him give it a go. And See, I'll and you, you boys said I shouldn't have Curse the White Knight last week because it was getting repetitive. You've got to wear them down. <laughs> you got to keep talking about how good something is, and then eventually they break. <laughs> but no, it was good. The first two issues, I've only got two issues into it. Um, but it was it was good and I did enjoy it so I'll um well, it begins here well you must have enjoyed it lots because uh, dear listeners you're you're drinking out of a a Batman cup there <sighs> oh, this is actually it's... my favorite cup that I always drink out of thanks <laughs> oh really oh yeah. I this see. is news to me you know it is That's what I always pick <laughs> I always give you your kick ass one instead I know. But uh, no, I'll take that cool. as a win. I'll take that as a win. Uh, yes, we'll move away from uh, my basking glory that Vicky is finally <laughs> reading Batman eight years later. Uh, move on to some picks of the week. Uh, yeah, so this is the reviews for the uh, titles released on the 29th of January. Uh, we always like to go around the table and see how many everybody had this week. I personally had 22 books. Uh, that was 9 DC, 6 Marvel and 7 Indie. So quite an even spread, I think. I had 10. It was 7 Indie and 3 Marvel. Which <sighs> Zero DC. <laughs> Still Wait. so much work to do. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Keith? Uh, I think I win this week. I had uh, 27 books. Uh, I had 16 Marvel, 8 DC and 3 Indie. And I had one trade paperback. I picked up that gorgeous um, EarthX omnibus that came out. So collecting 12 issues of EarthX and EarthX Zero. Um, yeah. Never a bad thing to pick up something with Alex Ross's name on it. And how about yourself, Roddy? Yeah, I had, well, I had 10 on my pull list and then I picked up one more indie book. So ended up with 11. Um, I think it, it indie, two Marvel, one DC, something like that. Um, yeah, good, Did good solid week for me. Graphic as well. Graphic was last week. Oh, okay. I think that that British Ice one was I left it sitting yeah, for two but weeks. You got a, oh. But you got a rather beautiful one as a, as yes. a thank you for running the store that came out last week. Absolutely fantastic. Which I've um, actually ordered one in for myself this week. Oh really? What oh, was that? Very good. It's called Nails, the Tree of Life. Um, it's a big, it's sort of uh, black label size, shall we say? For <laughs> but it's not by European <laughs> size, shall we say? For graphic um, novels. Yeah, like I, I remember just I, I saw like an article about it online and do you know it's one of those it just comes out of nowhere and i was like holy holy crap this yeah. looks really really good so i was like alan and vicky were very kind and got it for me as a present to say thank you for running the store so i was really chuffed i haven't got a chance to look at it yet unfortunately but see what we're doing yeah. is establishing that you'll get a nice graphic novel if you mind the store so over the next few weeks <laughs> it'll be like roddy do you mind uh you know, just this saturday maybe you know <laughs> so roddy you had 10 books and two marvel but mm -hmm. your pick of the week is indeed a marvel book despite those eight indie titles yeah well we've talked about it enough and it's such a grand book and 
This particular run is coming to an end, and that is the life and death of Conan. This is part 12 of... Uh, this one is... This is 12 issues. It is going to continue, but with a new creative team. But the first 12 were Jason Aaron, he of Thor fame, uh, Mahmoud Azrar, and Matthew Wilson on colors. And don't want to forget Isad Ribic doing the freaking awesome covers. And this was the, whenever they relaunched, whenever they got the license, Conan license back, this was the first book, isn't that right? Yeah, this the is Conan the first one. Uh, like the, the core, the Conan book. core yeah. one. Um, so this is a year. It's been a year. Yep. We've been reading this and we've had all sorts of... We've had a one-shot by Isad Ribic, Exodus, which was fantastic. Mostly a silent book. It was minimal dialogue, was it? Wasn't brilliant, yeah. The only dialogue was um, sort of a different language. Really enjoyed that. Um, but in terms of this, they've also done Serpent War... Savage Sword. Savage Sword, which is like an additional one. And they're doing really well. Loving loving all the books. They're going to come out with a lot more, which we'll get to. But in terms of the story of this, this one, there was big, big stuff in issue 11 where Conan's the god he swears blindly to. Krom. By Krom. Yes. <laughs> Krom, he, uh, he basically called out Krom and had a battle with him in the last issue. So this... This one was, I don't want to say tying up loose ends, but there was a lot of sort of, well, I'll get to get to the build up of the story, sure, shall we? I mean, I guess, I guess the trick with Krom is Krom is a god who does not care no. <laughs> and professes not to care and his worshippers know that he doesn't care, so there's no point praying to him because he's not going to do anything about it. Which plays into the story very nicely very, very much <laughs> in the last so. issue. And... Uh, there's been a long running i guess this has been a long running uh arc that has started really at the start of conan's career and ends somewhere closer to the end whenever yeah, he's an older man it's that sort of like typical jason aaron where it sort of has a few different uh viewpoints because i know thor is different different uh periods isn't yeah, it? yeah 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 exactly run. and i mean the, the the gist of the story is that the the more that an individual um, avoids death, uh, the more uh, their blood becomes uh, imbued with death magic. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so what, what, what Jason Aaron has done here is we have the core story, which is about uh, this clan, effectively, that wants to resurrect... It's another Re god, Rezazel. Rezazel, yeah, the, like the blood god or, or whatever. Um, and uh, Conan's blood is incredibly rich because of his long life of adventure and, and, and cheating death. Um, so in addition to seeing this core story, then in a few issues we've gone back and seen Conan's death cheating, you know, or, or he split issues where we have the core storyline and then, you know, you'll see adventures and you'll see him cheating death, you know, mm -hmm. so so I think that that's a lovely... And then there's one where he he dies, which is quite good. So the, the life and death of Conan is quite, a, quite an interesting title. It's not the title that you expect. No, definitely not. <laughs> and I mean... Uh, whenever your god is Krom, then, you know, whenever he decides to, uh, whenever Conan effectively convinces Krom to banish him from his sight, yeah. thereby <laughs> resurrecting him or returning him to life, you know, so, so yeah, yeah so this, this is the last, the last part of the 12 part arc. And I have to say, really enjoyed it. I yeah. thought, um, number 11 was stunning. There was a lot of, um, 
a lot of great visuals in it for Mahmoud Azrar to play with, with Chrome just taking up sort of every panel on the page being huge. But in this one, uh, Rezazel has two two sort of followers that are children that um, basically are trying to trick Conan, trying to get his blood so they can uh, resurrect Rezazel and bring him back to life. It's a really great story. So it's sort of this one also flits back and forth. Conan actually meets them in a in a sort of past life, shall we say? And the char- characterization of Conan in this is brilliant because sometimes it's hard to get Conan right. I feel because he's like at times he can be an asshole. He, I mean, and he's, he's an arrogant. Do you know what he rem- he reminds me of Thor in a way? We bet, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. an arrogant, hard drinking barbarian, arrogant, completely up himself, but. By God, is he the greatest warrior of all time? And I mean, there's, there's, there's a, there's a very real chance that if you if you do it wrong or approach it wrong, that Conan becomes one dimensional. Yes, you know, he becomes yeah. a one trick pony. You know, and that's not what he is. There's an awful lot of this that has been about Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Thief, Conan the Ravager, Conan the, you know, the pirate, Conan the, you know. So they're taking all of the different aspects of of Conan and and really treating them well. Yeah, and that's that's what I loved about it. It's the characterization of it. Um, it's just a really good book. So we and this one, it steps up from number eleven as well. There's a lot of action in these books too, which I really enjoyed. Uh, sort of the the children of Razazel get uh, resurrected almost by themselves, turned into crazy looking monsters, which Conan battles. Uh, it's Razazel- a huge action set piece, like it. Yeah. Uh, Rizazel sort of appears he's like a horrible looking man it's also a lovely transition just seeing you flick through the pages there the uh, the colours mm. so it's all sort of dead of night and quite solemn and then you just flip the page and it's all blood red and it's uh, it's quite a jarring transition actually but it works really yeah, well yeah that's in the, the temple of Rizazel I can't remember what the name of it is but um, ultimately like what I really enjoyed about this book it's about legacy and it's something i've heard you talk about with the thor run bizarrely yeah. enough so this is about conan's legacy not just as a character but in this book he's concerned with his legacy and what he's going to leave behind in his own life and his own death um can't say enough good things about it it's 12 this is 12 issues it is going to continue which i found out um jim zub and Jim Zub, who was on, he was the writer on uh, Serpent War, Serpent yeah. War, and also has done some writing on Savage Sword. Ah, right. He, yeah, uh, I think he shared duties with Jerry Duggan. Jerry Duggan, Jerry Duggan. yeah. Of Punisher Kill Crew fame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It all ties together. Yeah, all these Marvel ones. Um, but yeah, he Jim Zub's st- stepping up for number thirteen with Roger Antonio, uh, and then later in two thousand twenty, we're gonna get Jason Aaron and Mahmoud Azra returning for King Conan, which I imagine will be um, a sort of a sequel to this, a more direct yeah sequel yeah. maybe uh, to this particular arc, uh, just based on some of the things that happen and the some of the things that Conan says in this issue, you know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you guys, any interest after our chats or... I've always had an interest mm-hmm. in reading it. I just missed out in the first couple. And, you know, anytime you guys have recommendations, and we have talked about Conan quite a few times, I'm sure I will certainly give it a read. I was sort of maybe trade-waiting for it, but I see you rather nicely brought 12 issues with you this evening. Those might just have to... 13. Oh, sorry, I forgot about that uh, one shot. 
Exodus is but fantastic. What the key question this all leads to, though, mm-hmm. and I may need a whole other separate podcast for it, is in Jason Aaron's world, who wins, Thor or Conan? I will defer to Mr. In a Miller. straight up fight. I, I mean, I don't. I, I think the two power levels are very, very. Uh, uh, I don't think you can compare them. One's a god, and the other's Conan. The comics are all about <laughs> who would win the fight. Come on. <laughs> I mean, we know if we threw Batman into this, Batman would win with enough prep time. That's fine. But <laughs> would would Thor have to severely depower himself then to bring himself? Because I, I know Conan yeah, deals in sorcery and oh, he does, yeah, mysticism but he, and he, stuff like he that. He hates as well. sorcery. Conan hates sorcery. Okay. Um, so he doesn't use sorcery. He's, he's he is a barbarian. He is a a, a sword guy. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Thor is the god of thunder. Um, so okay, Sonan's sword against Thor's hammer, and no no other elements involved. Just pure warrior skills. Who wins? I dare say they'd end up having a pint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but in yeah. real life, I think Arnie would take Chris Hemsworth, so there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, also meant to mention what I really loved about these books. Um, there's a backup story. Oh, the, a backup the, pro the story. novella in the back, yeah. yeah. Um, so have you, you haven't finished this I one, have you? I haven't read no. part 12 of Black Starlight, which was the novella that was running through all of Conan Barbarian. Um, so, but yeah, the, I really, really love this wee story. Um, it was by John C. Hawking. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely something to check out, and something just a wee bonus in the books, which made made kind of each issue extra special. So, I wonder in the trade. I mean, this will this this life and death of Conan will make a fantastic trade. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I I think it'll be beautiful, but I I don't see them keeping all twelve parts of the novella in it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always a strange balance, I think, when it comes to comics. Sometimes creators like to reward single-issue readers, and they get things like letter pages, yep. sometimes bonus material like this. Uh, with, but with a 12-issue, a, a complete story like that, I would think if they're going to put it all together, because they have released the first Conan trade, the first six issues, Yeah, but I think yeah. if they do maybe like a deluxe 12-issue complete yeah. arc, they might include it. Actually... Definitely something about rewarding single issue readers, um, but then you have to reward your trade readers as well with you know other things, other back matter. But Serpent War also had stories in it, so it I would a, say a novella of uh, uh, Solomon Cain was not yeah. it? Yeah, and um, Savage Sword has the same too, doesn't it? Does yeah. yeah. So I would say they would probably put but them all in their own sort of anthology. It's like um, Sex Criminals um, with the single issues. Obviously, you get the not safe for work covers, but also you get the um, the letter pages at the back. Mm-hmm. You don't get them in the trades, do <laughs> They're not so much letter pages as people writing the chips at Arsky with their sex problems, and he responds to them all, and yeah. also offers sex advice. <laughs> um, but they did release that as a separate book called Just the Tips. Oh, right, okay. So uh, I don't know if they'll release something similar with Conan with such a juicy title as well. So, but no, I will give Conan a read at some point. Uh, I'll I'll throw it on my Jason Aaron pile. I've got a Thor complete collection volume two arriving this week as well. So oh, have you? Yeah. So along with your Venom. along with my Venomnibus volume two, <laughs> beautifully I, named. See, see, ever since I met Casey, I went to Marvel stuff making into my house. It's Excuse just me? not right. That'll stand to yell. You're more of an indie gal. Whose nope. house? <laughs> he, did, he didn't even realise oh, that dear. was the best part. <laughs> Our house. Always oh, in trouble. <laughs> Sorry, dear. Our house. But yes, anyway. Conan, number 12. Fantastic. Really can't say enough good things about it. 
Cool. So that is uh, Roddy's pick. That brings to an end the 12-issue run by Jason Aaron on Conan, uh, art by uh, Mahmoud Azrar. So we're going to move away, if Vicky is still talking to me after that uh, faux pas, <laughs> and onto her pick, which this week is... Something is killing the children. Sorry? I'll let you do it. Something is killing the children. <laughs> I really hope that wakes people up if they listen to this. You saying I put people to sleep? Oh, I'm just getting attacked on all four, all corners tonight. Okay, you go ahead. Vicky. Number so five, is it Vicky? Number five. It is number five. It's obviously by Jason. Uh, not Jason. You've got Jason Aaron in my brain now. Aaron Allen. It's not about that. Aaron. Oh, it's just oh <laughs> So it's um, James Tinian the fourth, and it's Weber Del Adera. Adera. <laughs> James Tinian the fourth here of Batman fame now, but a great indie writer. So I'm hoping now he's on Batman that he doesn't sort of the quality doesn't dip with this because maybe it'll get you on the Batman as well. Hey, <laughs> Clayman one step Drew, at a time. Clayman Drew art or did the art for Batman and stuff. I didn't really go there, so okay. well, let's just we'll leave it at that then. Yeah, but um, so what's happening in issue five then? Well, I want to comment on the art first because. The art style with this is always good. Um, it's always sort of... It's obviously a dark book, so it's quite dark, but you get these splashes of light coming through. Obviously, nine times out of ten, it is the blood coming, like, sort of making more apparent. But it starts off with... Um, I forget his name, but the young boy that survived the attack at the start of the book. Um, he's sitting waiting for... Is it Edith? Erica. Erica. I knew it would be Erica Slaughter. Um, and then he hears something and he looks around and he sees like a dead dog, which then rem- reminds him of when his friends were slaughtered and he's getting flashbacks to the to them sort of dismembered bo- bodies. Just really a little traumatised. Well, yeah, I would say... As you would be. <laughs> and then all of a sudden her octopus puppet thing is it's like a like a familiar are we uh, uh have we f- is it's like an uh, like an angel or something seems to be attached to this some sort of extra dimensional creature yeah. or, or an angel or a devil or something at one stage was it issue two uh we saw it we saw it superimposed above the octopus so oh. see yeah so i don't know what the what the score is there but it's clearly a wee bit whatever it is it, it's it, weird and creepy. Yeah, I don't know if it's <laughs> if it's malevolent or if it's just a little bit pissed that it's been tied to this creature. Um, but we find out, I mean, whenever we started this, because the octopus starts talking to him for the first time. Yeah. Uh, the kid uh, it talks to Erica. We've seen it talk to Erica before and advise Erica. And I always get the impression, is, is it lying or is it not lying? Or is it trying to get them into trouble? Or is it trying to get them out of trouble? Or what's it doing here? You also wondered, was Erica the only one that could hear it? Yes. And this proves that that's not the case. But... Uh, yeah, it seems to be sort of g and him on, you know, yeah, and I, well I sort of started thinking, are we going to find out a little more about this thing and this issue? Well, that's the thing. It's sort of, it's telling the, the lad sort of he should be helping her because obviously he's got the weapons, but does, does he want to let her end up like his friends, obviously dead and everything, and he doesn't want that. He doesn't want to be the coward, so... Um, it was a nice wee character moment as well because he, I think he felt the guilt of not 
being able to do anything about the, the kids friends. in the first yeah. ones. <laughs> so, <laughs> this thing, again, I didn't get the impression that it was kind of nice because it says, so, no, you, you, you have to face it that, it that it was your fault. You know, so effectively he's saying, you let the kid, you let every your friends down into the forest and then they get eaten by a monster and that was your fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? So this thing is not nice. No. And then sort of going through and then you see her in the um in the cave with the chainsaw going and then you've got Tommy um there holding a the gun. But see with this, pa- this spread of the page, I was very confused while reading it because... It goes from panel to panel, but they're different size panels. And you're not sure if you're going up and down, side to side, sort of over two pages. And and it turns out you're doing both. Yeah. Yeah, you, you weren't the only one on that. Because it wasn't until Keith told me while we were sitting here that once I reread it, the way he told me to read it, it made a lot more sense. So I probably should have figured it out a bit more. But See, something, Do you think something like that is intentional by design because the, the scene is quite chaotic? The scene's chaotic. It's in the dark. It's almost like a fourth yeah. wall breaking type thing where maybe you're supposed to have slight confusion yeah. about it as well. Because I don't get the feeling with this book that any of this is like lazy or designed to confuse you or anything like that. Mm. So I would almost think it's, it's I th- I almost think by design. I think know? it. I think you, you're um, what you're saying is it's maybe not fourth wall breaking as such, but it's using the medium. Mm-hmm. It's using the medium to, to confuse you, to, you know, everybody's turned around in the dark and there's a monster there somewhere and maybe that's what it is. Certainly, Vicky, the reason I was able to suggest how the, the correct way to read it was because whenever I was reading it this morning, I was like, what? That didn't make sense. Yeah. Let me try this again, you know, and then eventually you can oh, you know, yeah. yeah. So it, I, I got caught the same way. Okay. I'm glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> but then... With this monster is in the cave with them, and obviously she's trying not to get hurt herself, and she doesn't want obviously Tommy to get hurt, so she's telling him to back off, but he's not listening, and then all of a sudden you just see the chainsaw with blood on it, and so obviously she's obviously caught whatever this thing is, and then which she can see, but he cannot. Yeah. And he's still disbelieving, thinking, "Is this?" Mm-hmm. He even says, "You know, this this is some kind of trick." And then she's Which like, "Really doesn't help when you're trying to fight a demon, and you've got this disbelieving little dweeb in the background." <laughs> this this guy Tommy, he is uh, a guy who uh, works in the local um, cafe or whatever. But his sister was one of the victims of the monster. He's yeah. one of the children, and he's blaming Erica for that yeah. rather than yeah. something supernatural. Is she too first appeared in? Was That's it? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, I mean, we find out in this issue that the, the worst has, I guess, happened to, yeah. the, to the, the sister. But then, obviously, he realizes there's something. There is something there, but he can't see it. So he starts shooting at it, and then Erica, she's basically pissed that he's doing that. Um, so she essentially attacks Tommy just to get him to stop. And then he then points the gun and she manages to kick it, the gun, but it goes off and it hits. Do we actually remember? I don't remember this lad's name. I can't remember. Um, this I can't remember his name either. Okay, I'm glad I'm... But it hits him and he's like, I've been shot. So it sort of goes from there and... But Tommy's like trying to breathe because I think Erica kicked him in the th- throat. So he can't breathe. Great little moment, by the way, just where he's standing there looking at the wind and just goes, I've been shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very disbelieving. Very darkly funny, I find <laughs> that, I have to say. But 
I was thinking about it earlier that if he hadn't listened to the octopus, he wouldn't be in that situation. Well, yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair. So obviously, if he hadn't egged him on to go be the hero as such to try and help her, that w- he wouldn't be in that situation, and they wouldn't have be having to deal with not only this monster, Tommy not believing her, and now having this kid shot. So um, obviously, trying to get Tommy to work through and get Tommy to get this kid out of the cave. Um, this other little girl asks for help, which obviously you can see she's been attacked by it. And there's a pile of dead bodies, which then you realise is Sophie, Tommy's sister. So it's kind of, you get this sad moment within the um, the comic. And then Erica t- comes up with this, what we were saying is a hip, like a hilt of a knife. That kind of kind of confused me a wee bit. She pulls out she pulls out what looks like what looks like a knife, I think. Um, yeah, I got the feeling it was some sort of like crystal type thing, or it was essentially something to help him see. Yeah, it's. Uh, but she cuts his head as well. She so does. She 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 like she she cuts him with it, but she says it's it's hoard gold from the house of slaughter. From the house of slaughter, which is that's her surname, you know. And we start to get a wee bit of an insight into. There's 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 a larger organization here. Um, there's a if we flip over the page, he whenever he she she Gets she cuts him. his head, you know, the, and the, the 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 whole idea of it is that that her doing this allows him to at least temporarily see the creature and to understand what she has seen and exactly to, yeah and yeah. And if you see around the table is these other guys with these bandanas, but they've got also got we like plushies. Yeah, sitting we, in front yeah. of him, so I'm guessing they're, they're It's the only time you're gonna hear that word plushy be used, I think, in this book. <laughs> this is the this is clearly the house of slaughter. There's a guy sitting at the end of the table, uh, with a big old beard, he's wearing a face mask as well. But uh, deep in his eye you see the uh the sign that we always see on the back of the book, which may or may not be the house, the of, house slaughter of slaughter. And what know, you also yeah. what I, what I've also twigged is uh, that that album, uh, that emblem seems to be a, a, like a slaughtered dragon, and what she says is it's hoard gold from uh, the house of slaughter, and what hoards gold but a dragon? So this is gold possibly from a dragon's hoard. Oh, so okay. where there's a suggestion of something a wee bit more here, you know? Are they? Yeah, is it, are these? Are the, the the house of slaughter? Are they are they, are they dragon slayers? Are they, is that what they're descended from? Or so there's a wee suggestion of something else here that's making me go, oh, what's the story? I really want to know the story. <laughs> and then, so you go on to the next page and Tommy finally sees this creature. Um, and then he, he turns to Erica and goes, it's real. Can you, or she says to him, it's real. Can you get to your feet? And he's like, I think so. And then James, there we go. The boy that was been shot, his name's James. Do you, <laughs> see, you read the story? I'll find it out. I know. Um, yeah, Tommy sort of catches himself on a wee bit at this whenever he sees the monster, and he, yeah. he sort of he he, he catches he re- himself on and becomes a wee bit more of a hero. Yeah, because yeah. he realizes, right, I need to get these two out of here, and and Erica is sort of fighting this thing, and then at the one of the end of this page, it, she goes. I swear to God, I'm going to burn that fucking octopus. So, <laughs> obviously, because. James has obviously come in and got shot. It's because of that thing. Um, so then we go along 
and then the cop that Tommy was the one that smacked him into the trunk of his car. Um, sorry, the boot of his car. <laughs> <laughs> I catch myself on there. Um, has finally woken up and and then he sees Tommy carrying these two kids and he's like, I need help. We need to get to the hospital. So, and then we go along. The octopus is back in Erica's bag and her phone rings. And someone on the end of the line is obviously asking her what she did because obviously Tommy now knows about everything that has happened. Um, and she's saying that she'll deal with whatever consequences is going to come her way. I don't know what's going on here, you know, um, because Erica's in the cave and her bag was left outside of the cave. Tommy left, the, you know, the bag was outside of the cave of the octopus on the bag. Uh, but she Does someone pick up, does... Well, I'm guessing she's obviously killed this thing and then gone back to... I get the impression she's still in the cave. So I don't know who's talking on what phone. Uh, someone reaches, seems to reach in and... Well, the the voice on that phone is definitely not her because she has pink lips, whereas Erica has black lips. Mm. So unless that's the person on the other end of the line, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't because know. if you looked at Erica there, I would say... Yeah, in shadow. Yeah, she's reached into her bag. You can see Erica reaches into her bag. Someone has phoned. She answers. So it's... Uh, it, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No. Do uh, is this all from Erica's point of view? Uh, I did what I had to do to save two lives. I'll deal with the consequences. Is that Erica? No, listen to me. You didn't classify it correct. So it's a conversation between Aaron and Erica. Aaron is Erica's handler, I think. Mm. But is it him that says, "I did what I had to do to save two lives. I'll deal with the consequences." No, listen to me. You didn't classify it correctly. It wasn't a food stash. It was a nest. It was a mother, or an I don't, I don't know. I've no, done, I'm a I read confused. it as all Erica, all Erica. but I, yeah. I did notice it was a bit iffy. I see what Alan means because now if it was someone else, it would be lettered differently. Like it would be like a diagonal thing around the maybe it's the letters. You know, to to say there that's the other voice coming through the phone. The phone, yeah. Either way, it, it doesn't look good for the town because this thing was a yeah. mother, and there's going to yeah. be uh, children, monster, monster children. Running around us of actual yeah. children. Something oh. is the something is having the children something. now. Is Erica the yeah. thing that is killing the children? <laughs> <laughs> but um, each time it just leaves you asking more questions, which is obviously what you kind of want from a book. It's but nice five issues in. It's starting to sort of expand that world a little bit. As that's well. what I really enjoy. I thought this was maybe the strongest issue of this book yet out of the five. Um, it was a, a real knockdown drag out action scene for the large part but there was a lot of emotion in it there was a lot of uh like the kid getting shot you know her trying to convince tommy around those wee revelations about who eric erica slaughter is about this house of slaughter you know uh, about what so there's there's a lot of conflict going on here between her and her handler possibly between her and the house mm -hmm. you know and the octopus and the <laughs> octopus you know which we yeah who, madness like which is clearly yeah. manipulating other people to do something else that she yeah is really it protecting her is it not protecting her is i don't know yeah so yeah what i really liked about it um was i don't know if you've noticed it but when i was looking through it there i love i think uh can't remember who the colorist is but um i know the miguel 
Miguel Muerto. Miguel Muerto's colors are absolutely unreal, but then they're really complemented by, I don't know if you've noticed the the sound effects, something I really noticed, they're colored in the same way oh, as... When, but when she's got the, um, the chainsaw going. Yeah, cause they're, and some of them are colored in the blood color. They're really like embedded within the scene. They, they don't yeah. feel like out of place within it. I really enjoyed that. See what I you think mean? that's... Yeah. And, and World Design is the name of the letterer. But it was just something like really tiny I noticed, but I was like, like that is really cool, you know? Him with that thing, it's like... And then, yeah, with the chainsaw. It's just like, it's all red. It all sort of blends into one, you know? Yeah. Really cool. But yeah, I thoroughly, it's how, do you know what I was kind of thinking? It was like, how did all these books start off as miniseries? Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like a miniseries. <laughs> oh, no. Because it's like, it's just like an ongoing. I think, you know? I think uh, probably because they're coming out of, of Boom Studios. And I think maybe it's a wee hedging of the bets yeah you know oh, it's yeah. a wee hold on we'll 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 give this a six issue pilot and see how it goes without you know and that way we're not committing to anything and mm-hmm. you know and then yeah you might not have had that world building with the house of slaughter and all that kind yeah. of stuff it might have just been contained to this small town and been a slightly different conclusion uh but yeah i mean it's obviously along with uh once in future they they were both ordered uh ongoings after issue one so at least they were given plenty of time it wasn't a case of five issues in the six and go can you write more of this stuff <laughs> so there is definitely forward plan there james tinian has always done slightly longer runs he mm-hmm. wrote a series for boom called the woods supposed to be very good and it went for 30 plus issues so uh but yeah something is killing the children number five a book we frequently uh recommend and i think i'll be a big trade seller come later in the year i think it's march time March six April. issues i think it'll be six issues yeah, yeah because I, I don't think the trade's going to end where that has ended um, I, I think uh we're going to see last issue being the, the the last issue of this particular arc i think seems to be moving towards you know we've we've ended the the monster in this issue but now we have the fallout yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. it's one that always goes to the top of my pile because i'm just like i want to know we've been rather enjoying collecting all the variants for it as well uh cool so that is something that's killing the children number five uh so i I sense a little bit of a pattern here this evening in that you know roddy had all these indie books and then his pick was a marvel book and then keith has 16 marvel books eight dc and three indie and his pick is an indie book an indie book Mm -hmm. uh so i have chosen for my pick of the week this week, Farmhand number 13. Uh, Farmhand is another perennial favourite of ours. You see what I did there? Perennial. Yo. <laughs> um, so uh, by Rob Guillory, uh, someone who uh, you're a big fan of, Alan, from, yeah. uh, from another book from of his. Chew. Uh, John Lehman. So created, written and drawn by Rob. Uh, colours by uh, Jeremy Treese. Uh, lettering and logo by Cody Chamberlain. Uh, so issue 13 is I guess the halfway point of what we could arc call the three. third arc yeah. but these arcs are all very very closely related you know so they're like maybe soft arcs you know they're, they're, there's there's an over uh, a tail going on here that just that connects one to the other but mm. I guess maybe you could consider issue 5 and issue 10 to be more breathing points yeah. rather than the end of an arc because <laughs> um, there is an awful lot going on and there's an awful lot going on in this in this issue this is uh, in each of the the five issue arcs, there's been an issue that kind of is the 
revealing everything or it's the direction changer or it's the game changer and this I think is that in this arc um, but every arc the, the stakes are just rising and the story is getting deeper and you know um, I think it'll be a good one to read all together once it is done to go back and reread it all and just sort of like sometimes it's like when you go rewatch a movie again you sometimes miss things the first time round, and I think that's what this book will do because Rob's art, like especially in Chew, he would always have hidden things in the background. So that's why I think when I read Farmhand or when I read Chew, I used to take that little bit extra just to sort of notice the art bits because his art is just funny. And I think you even tweeted him once asking about it as well. Yeah, he, lo- yeah, he loves his background details, so he does. So it's always it's always a book worth taking your time with. Uh, it is, but the the problem is that it's, it's you, you, so good and the mystery's so deep that you're dying to figure out what's happening on the next page. So it's just it's very Moorish, you know. It's a, it's definitely a page turner. Um, good word. Moorish. So, so <laughs> this is is going a wee bit into the background about the the creation of the Jedediah seed, um, and you know the the research that you know before I guess Jedediah who is now like a farmer really of the, this is about when he was a scientist and the creation of that, of that seed alongside uh, Monica Thorne, who has become a, a different sort of a character uh, in later life. And uh, we're introduced to an individual called Wally, who we, who was the, the third member of that lab team and becomes critical is, is starting to become a critical point. So, so in the, the early part of the story, um, we find out that, you know, there's some creepy stuff happening whenever the Jedediah seed is applied to the brain, and it's the sort of thing that 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 Jedediah does not want to. Jedediah Jenkins, who was the creator of the seed, uh, the father of this piece, uh, he doesn't he he doesn't want the Morgan in the brain anymore. It's too it's too much, too creepy. The results are too unpredictable. But uh, in the same page, we find out that Monica Thorne has got a um, has got a a, a brain um, fungus, isn't it? Fungus, like- yeah. And something is going to have to be done. So I think we're maybe seeing the origin of how Monica has ended up the way she is. Um, and also how it's not actually Jedediah's fault. Yeah, Which exactly. is an interesting wrinkle yeah. in the story. So, yeah, it is an interesting wrinkle. So uh, that was years ago. Uh, this is today. And uh, and we meet Wally in, in the, the present day. And he's obviously watching the developments um, from the Jenkins farm and, uh, and in Freetown. Uh, Louisiana, where where the the farm is based and where the, the story is mostly based, uh, he's watching what's unfolding in the news with with uh, increasing concern. Um, you know, there there have been now six leaks from the of biotech from the farm. Uh, it's it's out in the ecosystem. We've we've seen all that happen over the past ten ten issues, and he he's very much I I told him this was going to happen, but uh, we've got um. Get me, get me the name here. It's uh, Zeke is the son. Is that right? Zeke, yeah. Uh, Zeke and his sister. Um, uh, they're they're off. They're they're trying to find. Um, trying to track down Wally, and uh, <laughs> as they track him down, so do some of the uh, the individuals who are infected by the Jedediah seed. You know, the that are fully infected, that are hearing the voices in their head, the voice of she or whoever she is up until now we've assumed it's monica is it mm-hmm. is it though uh you know and uh, wally uh <laughs> you know hilarious <laughs> so they, they 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 appear as almost preachers you know as almost uh so uh traveling 
yeah, traveling yeah, preachers, yeah, yeah. like yeah. like, like uh, Mormons or something, yeah. appearing at the door, <laughs> and he's inside. And it's just some great. It's it's the threat pitched up against the the comedy of he's going move. Could you could you like put some pants on or there's no time for pants, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But he's been developing some weapons, you know, and uh, there's a, there's a bit um, of what it. weapons they are. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. That based on the whole idea that both humans and uh, these these plant creatures need water, so it's all about dehydrating, you know, uh, which is kind of <laughs> interesting. So, so yeah, so I mean, effectively, they they need him. Things things are starting to reach a bit of a crisis point in Freetown, and and they need him back there. Uh, and he he says, actually, you only think you need me. You you don't know how bad it is, you know. And he recognizes uh, Zeke's infection by the Jedediah seed. He's got the he's got the seed in his veins. So it's not infected him as such, or it's not infected him as, as quickly. But uh, yeah, it's all it's all going a wee bit pear shaped. Uh, again, to use another vegetable reference, <laughs> fruit and vegetable <laughs> reference. Um, we see uh, Mikel, who was the 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 kid from the very first issue, who was invading Jenkins' farm, and things are going downhill from for him as well. Um, uh, so there's a, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in this book. Um, it all ties into the story story beautifully Jedediah Jenkins Zeke's father more and more is looking like uh, like a threatening figure um Wally's scared of him you know we're seeing a a history where was where 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 Jedediah and Monica Thorne a thing at a time there seems to be something going on there so a wee bit of uh we better yeah it's certainly hinted at isn't it it very much is so so yeah, and then you know we're back to many years ago, and and Monica's been being treated, you know, and she's hearing a voice uh, in her head, and it's it's pretty cool. It's it's pretty interesting. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. Really enjoying this book. Really enjoying this book. There's a lovely uh, letter in the back, Ronnie, uh, from a uh, a comic creator to Rob Gillery. Yes, he gives I, re- some I really read great, that actually. Uh, yeah, 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 some really great. Uh, Advice on submitting damage and, and that sort of stuff. So, Julie yeah. noted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he applied farmhand, last night, so he did. Farmhand number <laughs> 13, as I say, it's the, the middle of what we could consider the third arc of, of the book. But damn, it's so good. So good. I love the way it can go from like a cartoony visual gag to like full blown horror in just like the next, the next panel. Yeah, absolutely. It's great stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing how you can do that. I mean, he says he is in the process of writing uh, sort of a, a pilot screenplay mm-hmm. um, for, uh, what did he say? Is it an AMC? Know? Could be AMC. Um, Farmhand is currently in development at AMC Studios for television. As now I'm writing a pilot script, which is very exciting, all the same. Uh, so fingers crossed, see what happens. But you said you could nearly do this as, a, as an animated show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I've yeah, always said yeah. that about yeah. Chew. I would rather see Chew be an animated show, like Even in a Rick and Morty type style, rather than live action. Even mm. though you I think ha- that's have the, the um, perfect two main characters well, for Chew. Well, they were perfect years ago and lost, but they're not perfect anymore. The guy played Sawyer could have easily played one of the leads in Chew. But but no, I would I, I wholeheartedly agree on Farmhand, A, in its quality, and B, in terms of an adaptation, I think it would need to be animated. There's just so many cool, creepy concepts at play, and I think... <clears throat> I think we're in a bit of a golden period for animation as well. If you look at how well things like Rick and Morty do, or things like um, Big Mouth, or you know, what's it called? Final Space is another one. So there, it seems to be a bit of a golden period for animation, and and just given its sort of wacky, offbeat style, I think animation would be the way forward. Be hard to do with live action, definitely. 
yeah, yeah. without obviously heavy reliance on CGI and then you don't mm-hmm. quite have the budget in TV although that is probably changing these days Very but much so. uh, no that's Farmhand 13 wholeheartedly agree with Keith thoroughly brilliant title mm-hmm. and I mean it was a it was a brilliant week of, of books this week so that was a that was a fairly tough choice now I have to say there was some really really strong stuff yeah, it was, uh, and it's nice that, again, there's a good spread between, obviously, the Marvel, the indie. Of course, we're on to my pick now, and, of course, it's DC, and, of course, it's Batman's shop car. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this this was the first thing I read this week, and I actually remember saying that, Keith, this was the one to beat. And, you know, I've read it three times now, and I actually think that it has maintained that uh, as being the best of the week. So this is Detective Comics Annual number three. Uh, it's continuing on a really good tradition of all the Batman annuals being really, really strong. We've talked in this podcast before about how sometimes annuals can maybe be a bit of a gap filler or a little bit of a cash grab. But every so often you get these annuals that just thoroughly reward long-term readers. We had it with the Amazing Spider-Man annual with sort of symbiote night out and that kind of thing. You know, the, these are memorable stories. And um, what's great about this one, the, the storyline is called One Man's Worth. And it has this beautiful, beautiful cover by Steve Rood. Uh, and then I should say the other creative talents on the book are uh, Peter J. Tomasi on writing. We've got Sumit Kumar on art. And there's also a backup story to the annual as well, which is by Eduardo Risso, who is one of my favorite artists from 100 Bullets. So the crux of the story is what I like is you're able to examine Alfred in a new way. Alfred has died in the main continuity. What? Uh, I know. Spoilers. Uh, I will be curious to see how long that remains the status quo, but I don't mind it being for a while because it allows these really interesting stories. Uh, With this one, it's a story that deals with the death of Alfred, but it's not a sad story. It's not... Instead of focusing on Bruce's reaction to his death and how depressed he is and, you know, lost and all this kind of thing, it actually focuses on a story from Alfred from before even Batman became a thing. So it was, uh, it kicks off with uh, Alfred as part of British intelligence and there's this really great action scene at the start. Uh, it has little hues of Mission Impossible as well with Alfred wearing a different mask and ripping it off in the car as he drives away. It's just... The the one thing you don't associate with Alfred is being cool, you know what I mean? And that's what this is. It's got that 60s spy era feel to it. Alfred, full head of hair, pencil-thin moustache, driving a fast car. Um, Sounds pretty cool. He refers to himself as P. You know, it's like H and H, this is P. Um, he makes this great extraction on a, you know, a low-flying jet plane and all this kind of stuff. It's so, a really good, uh, I guess, I mean, I haven't read it, but I would imagine there's a really good opportunity there. You know, there's those... Those moments in Batman that, you know, Batman's in the in the you know the Batwing and he's uh, he's conversating with Alfred as Penny One as control. Yeah, is there a, there's probably an option there for Alfred to be doing the same thing with whoever his handler is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can almost see that that's where you know Alfred gained all this sort of knowledge from and stuff as well. But what's really good about this as well is the the way Tomasi writes Batman. I've always been a fan of he. Did a great run in the New 52, Batman and Robin, which was Bruce's Batman and Damien. So it was a father-son relationship as well as Batman-Robin relationship. But he writes Batman really well here. You know, there's a part where Batman's saving a family from a burning building. And, you know, he's calming the kid down. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm the Batman. I'm, I'm here to help. And, you know, they're going up in the grappling gun. And he says to the kid, you know, son, my hands are full. So, so on my call, I need you to hit that button on my belt. Okay, so... 
because Batman at his base element should always be good with children. He never wants kids to be frightened. He he wants to sort of instill hope in them and for kids not to go through the darkness he went through. So uh, like as they jump out of this burning building, the kid's actually screaming, yeah, and he goes, ah, don't worry, I've done this before. It's a really good characterization and rather than Batman just being depressed and dark and brooding in the cave all the time. Uh, but there is a little bit of this which is cool, which sort of shows, you know, when Batman gets home, the cave is a mess. You know, there's there's dirty laundry all over the house. The fridge has barely any food in it. Um, because obviously Alfred used to do all this stuff. But uh, you're introduced to the main crux of the story, which is uh, the introduction of a character called Marigold Sinclair. Uh, this was Alfred's uh, partner from way back when. And the crux of the story essentially goes around this one uh, this one loose end that Alfred had where he was never able to catch this one bad guy. And Marigold was told, like, if you're ever in trouble, find Bruce Wayne. So that's what she's done. She's actually enlisting Batman's help in this. So he decides to help and to help tie up this loose end sort of in uh, Alfred's honour. Uh, and then it goes from there. But just a really, really great story. Really great one shot. Uh, it You know, it sort of ends with Bruce in a little bit of a hopeful place as well. Because he he helps tie up that loose end, he then sort of starts to tidy up the cave, and you know there's this an in, in inner monologue here. You know Alfred would be proud of Marigold, but he'd be completely ashamed of what I've let this place turn into. I can hear him now. Did I teach you nothing, dear boy? I miss him every second of every day, but I have to face that he's gone, and I have to honor his life's work. Face it, Bruce. It's time to take care and take care of yourself and your home. So he's actually moving on and starting to accept Alfred's death and the story ends really really cool with this book that Marigold has that is essentially this scrapbook of all of Alfred's adventures and it's almost like she like Bruce becomes a kid again and she's a parent telling story time to her kid and she's like you know let's talk about the never to be forgotten or equal life of Alfred Thetis Crane Pennyworth hang on tight just really great story uh I love it when they do this kind of stuff, these great one-shot annuals that are actually worth the money, so to speak. Class. Alfred's uh, had a few now, hasn't he? He was, he narrated the Batman annual number four and he was the subject of number three, wasn't he? With the, the two Toms wrote, yeah, Tom Taylor wrote number three. Yeah, three was Father's Tom Day. Ca- yeah. And then four was essentially the entire 80-year history of yeah. Batman. But it was Alfred kind of narrating, narrating it and telling it, the yeah. stories. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, can't recommend enough. Even if you're not a big Batman reader, it's just a really well-told story. It it deals with the grief of a, of a lost one. It deals with, you know, finding solace in what their life meant and being able to move on, uh, but obviously never forgetting them, that kind of thing. And I think that's something we can all relate to. And a side note as well, just absolutely wonderful artwork from sumit kumar uh i was reading it thinking this artwork looks familiar and i couldn't quite place it <laughs> and then roddy and i chatted about it and it's uh, the artist of these savage shores uh five issue mini with ram v uh but yeah just great great book definitely my pick of the week sorry to be so predictable and pick a batman title but when they're this good <laughs> it has to be done so yeah that, uh, that does bring an end to our books of the week. Uh, we will take a very quick break and then come back with some honourable mentions. 
and we are back again so we're going to move on from sort of the in-depth detailed uh, reviews that we do for the week and move on to some honorable mentions uh we're going to keep this a little bit more brief than we would probably normally do i think we end up just reviewing like 16 books in depth instead of four in depth and some honorable ones uh but what we are going to do is we're going to keep it to three each time uh try and get that little bit of a routine going Obviously, with myself and Keith, we had quite big weeks, so we got to round it down quite a bit. Um, Roddy and Vicky still had a decent enough week as well. So what were your three honourable mentions, Roddy? So for me, I first up is another Marvel title, believe it or not. Um, this one is Hawkeye Freefall. It's the second of your two for this week. It is my my, <laughs> my reputation. <laughs> you're losing your reputation. Here. I'm only allowed two, so I'll make them good ones. So this one, Hawkeye Freefall, we've got Matthew Rosenberg, Otto Smith doing amazing art, and VCs Joe Sabino on letters. Uh, so this one we have, this is the second issue, Clint Barton has recently took down the hood, but he got off on a complete pardon, uh, quite suspiciously. A good friend of the Kingpins, yes, he is of course that- the mayor of New York. Mm. So yeah, really, really enjoyed this one, there was a lot of great... Um, this book combines a lot of great action with comedy, and I feel like I might have said that a lot this podcast, but certainly um, this you know has, what you like. Yeah, this has a lot of great cameos, a lot of humor. There's the crux of the story is the Clint Barton is sort of trying to take down the hood, which he does, but then Ronan appears mysteriously and starts attacking people and taking down various parts of new york ronan of course being a former alias of clint barton's therein lies the mystery yeah so that's basically the entire story we have clint barton trying to uh sort of redeem himself almost would you say (laughs) in a way just i don't know he's so awkward the whole time but he's so self-assured with it yeah (laughs) he doesn't help himself but it's really entertaining to watch there's a great great scene with tony stark which i'm sure alan loved (laughs) um in the first section of the book and so i think we've uh, i think we've said it before and i think uh, we all understand it now but no one who uh, has ever bought a mic ever drops a mic <laughs> <laughs> well certainly not if they paid for it yeah quite <laughs> but yeah that was um really enjoying that one that's gonna be a five issue mini series a couple of great cameos tony's in there yes, luke cage is in there it's quite Diesel. quite a good few yeah yeah, the only thing with all these cameos is that it's led to uh, Matthew Rosenberg fielding questions on Twitter because everybody keeps taking screen grabs of it and going, you guys should write and draw Luke Cage and you guys should write and draw Spider-Man. And Matthew Rosenberg wrote back saying, I think you guys just want Otto Schmidt to draw everything, but I'll happily write his coattails. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, there's another interesting thing in that that you and Keith were talking about. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That you don't remember? (laughs) (laughs) Something about the Dark Knight? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, there's a part on it where someone says, are you doing a voice? And they equate it to the uh, the Christian Bale Batman voice. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. Which obviously leads to the fact that the Dark Knight trilogy by Christopher Nolan exists in the Marvel Universe. I don't know. Keith and I were sort of chatting about it a little bit. I thought this was like a common known theory, but maybe it's just a fan theory. But the idea is that in the Marvel Universe... If uh, like Peter Parker was to walk into a comic book store, it would be all DC, DC titles. Comics, yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you know 
you know Barry Allen walked into a comic book store in the DC universe, it would be all Marvel titles. So uh, because that would be their superheroes. But what, what's interesting is Marvel Comics does actually exist in the Marvel Comics universe. Mm-hmm. Only it's a, I mean it hasn't been mentioned in a long time, but it is a company that publishes stories about real life superheroes. Yeah. So it writes stories about Captain America and about Spider Man and but you know just with the knowledge they have of them. Yeah, know. but those are non-fiction. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it, yeah, yeah. In that universe, whereas yeah. I suppose the DC ones would be fiction. Very true, very true. Uh, but yeah, it's a nice little touch. Snappy, yeah, snappy dialogue is uh, definitely a fortes of uh, Rosenberg. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that a little later, actually, that theory, shall we? Okay. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> right, well, um, speaking of uh, fictional comic book stuff um definitely done sir <laughs> oh i tried um so my second pick we are returning to returning to what i love indie comics so we're back to the indies this one uh also a five issue miniseries this one is olympia uh, it's written by kurt pyers and tony pyers um alex diotto usually does the art but it was quite strange that this one has a guest artist called jason copeland um so if you haven't read Olympia, it's like a interesting little series about a comic book hero who crash lands in the real world, and this sort of latchkey kid finds finds the hero Olympia, and sort of takes him around. And because the story was never finished, it only was two issues, I think. Yeah. It, the story only ran for two issues, so the kid really wants to know what happened. So he takes Olympia to the creator, uh, a man called Kirby Spiegelman. I'm sure you can figure out where the influences are there. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Um, D or Alex Diotto's art in the first two um, aren't for me. They're quite, I think they're very basic. Yeah. And never want to say anything negative about anyone, but. They certainly aren't up to the quality of Jason Copeland here. Yeah, because obviously I'm reading it, but I know Alan isn't. I think he's going to wait until they're all out to catch mm-hmm. up on it. But um, I have to admit, I read the first one and thought, I'll continue, see where it goes. The second one, I was a bit like, mm, not really feeling this. Mm-hmm. And then I read this one and I felt like, actually, this is actually a really good book. I yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until we spoke when you got here this evening that like you said to me about it being a different artist, I was like, that could be it. Like the, <laughs> like because obviously, obviously, I said it the other week about my when I was reading Hit Girl and the art was completely different and mm-hmm. not what I'm used to. And sort of, I guess you sort of get into sort of different mindsets, what you yeah. like and what sort of draws what you in. And clearly, the guy that does the art normally is just not for us. Yeah, definitely. There's something. There's something about it because they're trying to. They're definitely trying to imbue that uh, the Jack Kirby spirit, that sort of what's the the cosmic sort of side of it. Um, but it's really sometimes it's kind of hard to, and it looks a bit you know basic. But um, the art here is fantastic, and we sort of get a background into. There's a lot of in jokes and nods to comic history, which I quite liked. I thought that was really nice. And Kirby, basically, he ends up won't go through it all he's basically ends up depressed because he can't get a gig everything seems to be going wrong for him his kids kind of disappointed in him 
he's turned to drink and he's crashed his car. It's all looking bad. And then he's going to basically he's going to take his own life. And then Olympia shows up with the kid. So that's that's our impetus for the last two issues. Um, This one, this one blew me away because compared to the first two, it's yeah, I agree. Just magic like. Um, yeah, really enjoyed that one, and not going to talk about this one too much because I don't think anybody's read it. I've been reading it. <laughs> Keith's read it. Yay! Um, so this is great. This is also another number three. Um, this is we're still with Image. We are Philadelphia. This is Rodney Barnes, Jason Sean Alexander, and Lewis NCT. This is Sins of the Father Part Three, which. I was looking at that, and it kind of makes me think there may be more Philadelphia. I know it's only meant to be a six-parter, but I am thinking maybe they could go on from here. But you've oh, been on a bit of a vampire kick yeah, there, Keith. Yeah, we bet, we bet. But this Pur- is... Puritanism is out the window. <laughs> vampires <laughs> vampires this week. Puritans were so last week, Roddy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been loving this. I love uh, issue three now. We've, we've set up an awful lot of the relationships and the conflicts. Um, we have... Uh, the father, uh, James Sangster, um, you know, he is, he, the, the JJ is the, the point of view character, the son, mm-hmm. uh, his father, the uh, ace detective, James Sangster, who he, as the son thought he was coming home to bury, uh, he actually came home to dig up uh, <laughs> because he is a vampire. Uh, his last case, that's where it led him to, vampires. And uh, the the head of the, the vampire cult is none other than second president of the United States, Mr. John Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that so this is a lot of this issue actually looks at the vampiric origin of of Adams uh, and and where he became in post presidency a vampire, how it happened, where it happened, and what his I guess what his goal is, you yeah. know. And what is really awesome is again we've talked about it before how relatable they've made the bad guy. <laughs> you know, you can sort <laughs> yeah, of you can understand yeah. his motives. You know, you can understand where his uh, you know, and then again, we're talking about. I mean, the, the, uh, I guess the, 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 the curse of immortality and all of that stuff. You know, so, uh, yeah, yeah I, just great stuff. As much as I love the story in this book, I think it's Rodney or sorry, Jason Sean Alexander that he gets he gets his moments in this book to just go absolutely crazy. There's some amazing stuff. The vampires in this book look stunning. Um. I love the. There's so like much detail. Twi- Twilight stunning, or yeah, just stunning, <laughs> <laughs> stunningly drawn and colored. There, absolutely, his art is just fantastic, and certainly there's a lot. I felt the obviously because of the street setting and a lot of number two and one. There's a lot of different genres blending in this one, but I certainly think we got a lot of history and a lot of vampires in it. So there's a lot more. A lot more colors that really made this one pop. We're Certainly a lot bit of, of the, the culture of the vampires as well, you know, mm. and, and how that, that particular cult or, or tribe is. Yeah, it's really good stuff. But yeah, yeah, that's that's it for me. Um, Marshall Dillon also did the letters as well, which um, we've been sort of hit or miss about Vicky with the the, the rolled up. But um, I don't think there's any, there's much joined up writing in this one, actually. So you'll be glad to yeah, know. Yeah, I, I struggled with the second issue because... A lot of the speech bubbles, it was quite. They were quite small, or the boxes. It was quite small, and then, like you're saying, it was like sort of joined up lettering. And I was just like, I think it took me probably ten, fifteen minutes longer than what 
normally do read a comic. Like I know I take a long time to read a comic anyway, but mm-hmm. that one took me really long to try and decipher what was actually being written in those s- small square boxes, which, yeah, wasn't a fan of that bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I think because that's that's the dad's journal, isn't it? Yeah. So, so I don't. I think it's gone, to be honest, from this one. But also, if you get a chance, certainly look at the back because there's some awesome stuff from Jason Sean Alexander. If you look at his his sort of art process, like look at that. That's fantastic. His ink. That's I think good. it's uh, what does he use? Ink and acrylics, pen and brush on paper. So just if you get a chance, look at that, and that'll do me great week great great week i thought it was everything was quality that we i pretty much read cool so that was uh roddy's honorable mentions how about yourself vicky what do you got for us so i've gone for jessica jones number two again so kelly thompson and matty de Ulius. yes i got it <laughs> nailed it nice <laughs> oh i even got a roddy nice <sighs> yes um so obviously with the first issue it was Obviously, the fallout of the end of it, she got shot. We, we bet shot. We bet shot. A we bet, bet shot, shot in the head and left for dead on her uh, the floor of her office, I believe. Yes. So, um, obviously, they don't know how, but she is alive. So, obviously... Um, oh, spoiler, Vicky. I thought we were spoiler-filled. <laughs> Vicky was very nice, actually, because I haven't read number two. So she was like, I'll not spoil the end for you. <laughs> That's what you think. She's just about to spoil it now. No, I'm not going to. So um, so she's trying to find out why she got shot and how, where it all leads and, and try and work out like, where to go from here. So she's got other leads that she's following up. She's got someone else. Um, come into her office that she's not sure of. Um, but it's, uh, she's from the ab- oh, sorry. Abnormal Crime Division. Well, that's what Jessica thought it was, but it's um, the Aberrant Crime Division. So um, it, it's, it's good fun. It's an easy read and it's about superheroes Um um, I'm gonna leave it at that. Um, it's obviously about other superheroes. I don't want to spoil it for Roddy because I know he wants to probably read it. Some good it. cameos, yeah, shall we say? Because yeah. when you showed me the first the first book, I love I love layouts in comics. I love the different dynamics of it, and I really love that book. It reminds me of Gideon Falls a wee bit the way the photos are placed around. You know. Yeah. So um, I'm just gonna leave it there because it, the end of it is quite sort of intriguing as well oh, um, wow. plus it's yeah. worth reading just for the first couple of pages where Jessica wakes up in hospital and uh, Luke Cage is lying on top of her like hugging her so tightly like I'm so glad you're alive <laughs> and she's sort of like uh, oh please tell me you didn't tell anybody I got shot and then just cuts this big wide angle and you've got like half the Marvel Universe in the <laughs> hospital just holding balloons <laughs> and being like get well soon Jessica and all this kind of stuff you so got, uh, you got Captain America um, Spider-Man Tony Captain Marvel. As if Tony Stark would, you know, turn up to care about someone else's welfare. Easy now. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> getting you into therapy soon. We're getting you into therapy. I'm not sure who this is at the background. Those. Um, That's Danny Rand. That's uh, Iron Fist. Ah, uh, okay. 
Iron Fist, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, Captain Marvel, Tony Stark, uh, Captain America. So, but yeah, fun book. Really good. It's an easy read. It's just fun. And it's every two weeks, this one. So, because mm-hmm. obviously it is based on a graphic novel that is actually already out. So it's quite nice to see it in single issue form. Um, I do like graphics, but I also like my single issues as well. So mm. I'm going on to um, a number one, and it's from Valiant. It's Quantum and Woody. The, it's written by Christopher Hastings and Brian Brown. Um, Quantum and Woody was around a few years ago now. Um, we read it when I think we were still living in England at the time. And it was just a fun sort of book. And the book didn't take itself too seriously. And the art style is sort of, especially the front cover, because we got the pre-order edition, which, um, if you look, is quite, obviously, you guys can't look at it, but <laughs> you can find it online. Um, it's just it's just out there, which is quite cool. Um, it's about So is this, sorry to interrupt, is it a reimagining, or is it a re, does it just carry on from the last sort series? Of, yeah, you're sort of dropped back into it it is a starting point for people but there's definitely pre-existing relationships here uh fills in on you know what their powers are and how they got it and why they have to be close together and all this kind of stuff so it's definitely for new readers but it's not an origin story per se because the book opens they've already got their powers Mm. so just going through the like you were saying about the art style it was something that um you had to get used to because it was a bit I can't remember. The it was just very, very busy. Uh, lots of sort of small panels all over the place. Uh, but it's the artist on it, Ram Brown, he's the artist that did a series called God Hates Astronauts with, I think it was Charles Soule. And you can see the art style is very, very similar there. But there's yeah, there's a lot of humour to it. It is good fun. Um, so going through sort of how they're trying to sort of um, claim their stake as superheroes again. So... Um, however it left in the last book sort of they weren't classed as superheroes so hopefully this obviously so they're essentially trying to regain that notoriety and have people dependent on them again so but yeah Quantum and Woody themselves they're, they're characters that are half brothers but they don't really get on very much uh, and Quantum in this case is very suspicious that Woody is setting up all these you know scenarios where they need superheroes just so he can get back in the public's eyes and get sponsorships and advertising revenue and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a good first issue. I enjoyed it as well. It's The Valiant Universe is something I think we might dig into a wee bit this year. Try and get a few more out there. And it's one that is also, um, I I noticed once I picked it up, is they're showing sort of pages of art for um, the film Bloodshot, <coughs> which comes out in March. Um, which obviously is Vin Diesel, so obviously based on a Valiant book. So just sort of thought I'd throw that out there. Vin Diesel once again playing himself. <laughs> Apart from when he is Groot. So and from a smaller comic company to the biggest of all evils. Oh, Keith. Oh, not Marvel. They're oh, Marvel owned by another company. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel are the good guys in this scenario. So I've gone for Star Wars issue two. Um, it is by uh, Charles Soule and Jesus Sanz. Sayers. Sayers. Um, and just, it's, I, I noticed that there's a lot of number twos on the table with obviously 
Hawkeye, um, Jessica Jones, and this, and then one that I see Alan will be recommending. Um, but no, I just... Obviously, I'm a big Star Wars fan anyway, and I just wanted to see what it was like in comic form because I've never really sort of read anything Star Wars in comics. And I know Alan said he wasn't really that interested by it, but I wanted to carry on with it just because I like the characters because it is obviously Leia and Luke and sort of Lando, obviously. So it shows after Lando um, gave up Han. So... And he's trying to find where he is, whether he's been sold to Jabba and sort of just trying to show that he is a good guy and that they can trust him. So, I mean, it's this this is slotted into that, that uh, no man's land between Empire Strikes Back, directly at the end of Empire, and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Uh, first issue was great. Uh, first issue was fantastic, better than the last three movies. Um <laughs> I don't know. I, I like the last one that came out. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I've got issue two. I just haven't quite got around to it yet. So yeah, I'm absolutely with well, you on this one. I'm going to leave it there then because I don't want to spoil it for Keith and, and and let you get the surprises that you can. It's been a great... Uh, it's been a great... The, the the relaunch of the Star Wars comics has been a great opportunity to, to jump on. Yeah. And we'll continue this week with Darth Vader, number one, coming at this That's Wednesday. right, which I believe is set in the same time period, but... Uh, from a different point of view, obviously. That's all you, Vicky. You, you read away. I might pick that off and have a quick go. Oh, there we go. Hmm. <laughs> How about yourself, Keith? A couple of honourable mentions from your yep. veritable smorgasbord of comics. I got uh, three, two Marvels and a DC. So uh, we've got Ravencroft Institute for the Criminally Insane, number one, uh, by uh, Frank Thierry and uh, Angel, Angel and Zuda. Uh, Rachel Rosenberg and Dono Sanchez Almara are, are the colorists. So, obviously, this is picking up from those three issues, the ruins of Ravencroft, and uh, we see the journal of Jonas Ravencroft in the uh, in the first page there. So, uh, looking well, a bit like the Necronomicon, a little bit like that, <laughs> a little bit like that. Um, uh, Misty Knight uh, is uh, working for some shadow agency, the same sort of shadow agency that she was working for. Um, I guess as as part of uh, the whole ruins of Ravencroft thing, and also the and endure an absolute carnage, lethal protectors. She was she was working for these guys, whoever they are. She's also on uh, in in Captain America's Daughters of Liberty uh, as well. So she's Misty Knight's turning up in a whole lot of secret organizations. Um, but yeah, so we're effectively what we're doing here is we're we're laying down everybody's um, reasons for being here. Um, we're we're going through a little bit of the 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 background of uh, John Jameson and he's now the, the head of security, I guess, or the, the security director at, uh, at Ravencroft and uh, the whole thing with Ranger Ravencroft and Kingpin. So uh, she's sort of reporting to her, uh, to her higher ups. And uh, so there seems to be something a wee bit deeper going on here. You know, who are they working for? Why are these people involved in Ravencroft? Obviously it's probably the most dangerous uh, place in the Marvel universe, though, as Misty says, maybe the Savage Land would like a look in for that. Um, <laughs> We've got a triumvirate in charge here, or at least it seems that uh, this triumvirate are in charge. We've got Norman Osborne, who is here as Kingpin's consultant, or Merfisk's consultant. We've got Misty Knight, and we've got John Jameson, her partner. Um, um, John is having some uh, some performance issues. There's one stage where it would have befit him to turn into the werewolf at night, werewolf by night, but he chooses not to, almost at the uh, almost at the the risk of his own life. This is because he's feeling. 
the guilt of exactly uh, that, Roddy. What's what's the story? Is it absolute carnage? It was yeah. absolute carnage. Yeah. yeah, exactly that. And uh, we've got uh, the conflict between uh, Norman Osborne, as I say, who's been placed here by by Mayor Fisk uh, and Misty Knight. And there's something interesting going on with Osborne, as in we know Osborne is a complete prick. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we know who he is. We know what he has been, as does Misty Knight. But it seems that he was cleared of everything post carnage. He has no memory of, you know, as always, he has no memory of being the Green Goblin. He's, got, you know, does he have any memory of what he selective did? Selective amnesia. Yeah, mm. but is it selective? Is that? I mean, because I'm assuming he's still evil. But I mean, am I misassuming? Don't know. <laughs> not sure. Um. So yeah, it's uh, we, we've got appearance by Mister Hyde. We've got appearance by uh. By who used to be Grizzly, we've got uh, uh, and we've got a bit of a, a shock ending that was reminiscent of uh, of Thunderbolts one. I thought way back, way back in nineteen ninety eight. And there's something going on with uh, the creatures that were in the vault. Uh, they seem still to be sniffing about in the basement. Um, so a lot, uh, a lot going on here. Really enjoyed it. We'll be sticking with it. Uh, Thor number two by uh, Donny Cates, Nick Klein, and Matt Wilson. Another number two. Yes, another number two. Uh, you're exactly right, Vicky. Uh, <laughs> so this was kind of interesting whenever I said we were going to refer back to uh, our little Marvel DC reference. Uh, there was a wee bit of, uh, wee bit of Twitter um, anger about this. Animosity, yeah, to say the least. Which, which I thought was totally it was needless. It was just, it was just nerd rage. Um, See, it's interesting because you'd put up what it was and you'd put up a response to it mm-hmm. saying about how there should be more of this kind of stuff. I still at that point did not look at the preview pages because I refused to look at preview yeah, yeah, pages. Yeah. So I was really curious digging into what it was actually going to be. Uh, so obviously we have uh, the, uh, what do we call the big bad? It's the, the Black Winter, isn't it? Or the yeah. Yes, the Black Winter, the star plague that destroyed Galactus's original universe. Uh, and we see it sort of starting to sweep across the the, the multiverse and uh, we, we're... we're we're taken to what would appear to be some sort of analog of the DC universe, which is being torn apart by the Black Winter, and we watch as uh, your gods will arrive, a sun god, a god of emerald light, a god of dark, perhaps, a god of the ocean, a god of speed, or a god of strength, and are eaten up by the Black Winter. Uh, now, the nerd rage was that, what are you saying? Are you saying that uh, Thor can beat something that the whole DC universe can't beat, and the Justice League can't beat? You know, but was, it, was that Alan on his keyboard uh, there? No, I don't it? think so, but it was... <laughs> Not at all. But uh, I'm, I'm on Keith's side with yeah, this. Just, it's, a a of, yeah, it's a playful fun. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. It's Donny Keith's, yeah. like, you know, so... Uh, but yeah, Thor is now taking his place as, um, as Galactus' herald. There's five planets that have to be hunted down that Galactus needs to eat in order to power up. But of course, we get to the first of these planets and it's it's occupied. It's inhabited. So Thor's going, whoa, hold on. He pulls a silver surfer and says, I'd rather find you barren planets to eat. But Galactus <laughs> is going up, need to eat this one. So... Uh, Love the simplified nature of the story. <laughs> <laughs> nope, need to, eat, need to eat this one. You know, so uh, there's a bit, of a bit of conflict between Galactus and Thor, which is class. The whole idea of Thor as a, as a herald of Galactus is really interesting. Uh, the, the the creatures that inhabit the planet are a bit warlike. Uh, Thor effectively transports them to uh, to Asgard in order to keep them safe. We see really interesting use of the two ravens. Um, what are they called? Uh, I should know what they're called. Um, uh, Huggin and Munnin are the two ravens that Odin used to have that are now Thor's because Thor is now the god of Asgard and... Uh, there's some really interesting stuff going on there. You know, 
yeah, Volstagg says, my lord, he, he sends a message over a long distance through these ravens, and he says, my lord, thou canst speak through your ravens, and Thor's like, Hugging and Munnan aren't ravens, never truly have been, you know, and there's no more explanation than that, other than the fact I'm, I'm Thor, and there's a great, uh, there's a great uh, reintroduction of a character at the end of this issue that I was really glad to see, so some good stuff happening here. Thor's in the right, Thor's in the wrong, Thor's in conflict with Galactus, he's trying to do a thing to save the universe, but I mean, he's go he's obviously going to be a wee bit morally, morally scarred when he's doing it. Um, well, I mean, to throw in a little Watchmen TV reference, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. <laughs> nice. Uh, sorry, I, 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 I stole nice there. <laughs> Boys, separate. Well, the nerd rage is growing now. <laughs> worse, worse. So than I'm going to finish off with uh, Batman Beyond Forty. Uh, by uh, by Dan Jurgens, uh, and who else have we got on this book? I am not just one hundred percent sure. Dan Jurgens, Sean Chance, Sean Chance the penciler, and Sean Parsons is the anchor. Um, so this has become a very important issue, but we'll obviously not get into the proper reason why. No, uh, so I'm so I'm told. So Alan was saying earlier on, it's it's jumped considerably in value for it a specific has, yeah. story reason. Um, it's a great story. Uh, we're looking at uh, part four of First Flight. We're in a really interesting position. We have the return of Blight, who uh, Derek Powers, who uh, was Batman Beyond's first villain um, in the cartoon, actually. Mm. Uh, he's a, like a radioactively powered uh, bad guy. Um, Terry McGuinness, Batman, is missing. Uh, in the previous, um, previous arc, he was... Uh, his identity was adopted by Falseface, and then I think Falseface was killed. Uh, and of course, what Falseface does is he, in addition to stealing the body, he steals the memories and the personality. So whenever he was killed, Terry didn't get his memories back. So he's now like a homeless guy, doesn't know who All he is. All these favourite heroes yeah, of yours in the well, DC universe. Just exactly. Having their memories just taken from them. But it kind of balances out because at the end of this one, Dick Grayson Beyond appears. Ooh. So that's nice. Uh, and there's a wee bit of a wee bit of a twist in the tale as well. So, uh, just a great uh, a great issue. A lot going on. Um, again, I I've said it before. Batman Beyond is one of the unsung heroes of of the the DC uh, line. Uh, and this particular run by by Dan Jurgens, forty issues in, is really killing it. Yeah. So most enjoyable. Cool. So a few honourable mentions there for Keith. Uh, finish off them with myself. I've got a nice even split of one DC, one Marvel, one indie. Uh, so the Marvel one I just wanted to spotlight quickly. New title that started last week, Amazing Spider-Man Daily Bugle. Uh, this is going to be a five-issue miniseries. And it seems to be all about uh, an exploration of what it means to be in the media, in this sort of tech-obsessed you know, moves at 100 miles a minute sort of world that we live in now. Uh, this is written by Matt Johnson. Uh, and then it's a couple of artists on here. You've got Mac Chater and Francesco Mobili. Uh, yeah, just a really, really great uh, first issue. Uh, I seem to be reading more Spider-Man now than I ever have in any point in my life. Thanks, Keith. It's all right, I'm reading plenty of Batman. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just a really, really cool first issue. Uh, it focuses a lot on uh, one of the Marvel's top reporters, Ben Urich, uh, who normally would be more in Daredevil's titles. Is that yeah, safe to say? that would be safe to say, yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, he is part of a team here that uh, the Daily Bugle are assembling. They they want to put together like a crack team, so to speak, and really get back to the roots of journalism and investigative journalism. You know, not be covering things that are clickbait and stuff like that. It has a really great introduction page where Peter's introduced and he's just completely talked down to because he, he's standing in a group of four and being told how important they are to the Bugle and all this kind of stuff. So uh, Pete's like, oh, brilliant, back at the science desk. We both know that the charge against me was bull. Nope, not a science editor. Your first job, photographer. Okay, well, my visual acumen is central to Bugle style, so I'll be willing to be on staff. Freelance. Fine, whatever, I'm broke. Uh, really cool thing. Uh, the editor is called... Joe Robertson. Joe Robertson. Uh, he gives Benerick an extra task of uh, what he thinks is babysitting, but it's actually to show the ropes to... Um, his niece, who is actually a damn good journalist herself, uh, she uh, she specialises on the online side of things, is is what it is. So he she's really just looking for some leads off him, and he thinks he's there. She's there to baby him, and he's like, whoa. She's like, whoa, hold on. I'm I'm a journalist. I'm you know I'm not wet behind the ears here. I know what I'm at. Yeah, there's uh, there's just a, there's a lot of good stuff in here. So there is. Uh, I'm I'm a big. A big fan of stuff that's sort of ground level Marvel stuff. That's why I love stuff like uh, Daredevil and so forth. So, yeah, there seems to be this spate of sort of spider webs around the city that's creating all these different menaces. Of course, Spider Man thinks they shouldn't belong to him because his webs disintegrate after use, but these ones seem to sort of be sticking around, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, going to be a five issue mini. Just fun to see a, a slightly different side to the to the Marvel universe. Uh, uh, the artist draws uh, draws Peter Parker weird. <laughs> Kind of looks kind of looks kind of strange. He looks a wee bit like an actor. I just can't figure out. Is it Arnold Schwarzenegger, by any chance? No, it's not. But there is a there's a <laughs> now that you look at it, definitely a sniff of that. But uh, I had someone in particular in mind. But yeah, it's a bit. Uh, a Let's bit just say he doesn't look like a seventeen year old boy. <laughs> well, he, he, he's not supposed to be a seventeen. I know he's a bit boy. older. In he's this, supposed to be in his thirties here, yeah. I think. But uh, oh, geez, still, that's being kind. He still doesn't <laughs> doesn't look like Peter Parker. <laughs> Yeah, but the they do draw Spider-Man well, though. Uh, I especially like the inner monologue he has to himself when he's investigating some stuff in Central Park uh, about the water. He's like, alrighty then, something's poisoning the pond at a rate higher than it can spill off. Probably an underwater pipe. No way am I diving in there. Nuh-uh, nope. But, aha, I know the perfect hero for the job. Maybe, or maybe I'll ask around. So, uh, yeah, just a fun first issue. Uh, Going to be a five-issue mini-series. Uh, my DC uh, honorable mention of the week goes to Suicide Squad, uh, which of course is written by Tom Taylor, art by his Injustice collaborator Bruno Redondo. I wasn't really expecting to massively enjoy Suicide Squad. It's not a team I would particularly normally care about. Obviously, the Tom Taylor factor got me onto this book, and I have to say it is pretty excellent. Uh, what's really interesting in this is. Even within the Suicide Squad itself, there's two clear divisions because the Suicide Squad has been set up and you have your sort of legacy characters like Harley Quinn and Deadshot and Keen Shark. But you've got this new boss in charge who's even above Amanda Waller and he's brought in his own um, his own people. You know, there's uh, and there's just this clear division down the middle of who's really in charge. It's and not that he's brought in his own people, isn't it? Last issue, did they not? Uh, the Suicide Squad took down another group. Uh, like a, a group of like rebels, a group of um, and that's the that's the squad that they've put together. Yeah, well, that's that's sort of what I mean. But he's brought them in as a group. They were a ah, pre- sorry, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. a pre-existing group. They had their own sort of relationships between each other, so they don't they couldn't care less about the other people have been brought in with. 
I mean, there's this great scene in the middle where they're all supposed to jump out of a plane and uh, have this incursion, and uh, Deadshot's basically left on the plane while the rest of them teleport each other out, and he's just sort of like, are you serious? Uh, and it gets a little darker from there. And it does indeed get darker from there. Um, as Also as well, just Roddy was saying earlier about how he loves sort of layouts of comic books and the way they're done if they're done in interesting ways, and I think the art is really, really strong here. Uh, a lot of great use of silhouettes, a lot of great use of bright reds, really good use of the logo uh, being utilized as well. One thing I will say is that it was interesting to see sort of Deadshot be so helpless, uh, especially like on the last page. He just looks shocked by everything. We bit out of his depth. A little yeah. bit, yeah. yeah. But no, really digging it. The the Keen Shark dynamic with uh, Finn. Finn. Yeah, is brilliant. Uh, you know, Finn essentially shared a voice in his head with his brother and King Shark had his brother. So King Shark now shares thoughts with him and all this kind of stuff. Oh, do you want me to tell you what your brother was thinking? And all this kind of stuff. Uh, they end up getting into a fight. Finn knocks out one of King Shark's teeth that he then wears around his neck as a sort of badge of honor. Uh, but yeah, just a lot of underlying stuff happening in this and uh, really digging it much more than I expected to. Yeah, me too. Me too. Just, just sort of came out of nowhere. But I think just because Tom Taylor... Redondo, we were just like, yep, we'll get that. We will have that. So, And then just my final one, uh, I just want to throw a bit of love out just because it's uh, the end of the current run. Uh, it's another book that, again, that I talk about all the time in this podcast. I have lent Keith the, the, the big deluxe edition I have. Roddy now has it. I, the more people read this book, the better. Uh, this is Criminal, uh, written by the one and only Ed Brubaker and art by Sean Phillips. So this is the longest Criminal has ever ran in a single volume. It's running the 12 issues, uh, and it's just a thoroughly brilliant book. Just good, old-fashioned noir storytelling. Every single noir trope you can think of gets thrown in here, whether it's the femme fatale, the guy doing one last job, the guy who can't leave his past behind, the person who you know just wants that clean break and a new life and all that kind of stuff. But there's... I obviously won't go into spoilers too much in this, but... There's stuff in this that relates back to the very first issue of Criminal. It's just brilliant, long-form storytelling uh, that Brubaker consistently does well. And, uh, yeah, the there's also an advert at the back of the book for a new original graphic novel they're going to do called Pulp, which looks to be some sort of Western-esque yeah, story. Yeah, I saw well. that in the previews catalog and uh, <laughs> immediately went ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Criminal is one of those ones I can't recommend enough. Just brilliant, brilliant book. Ended really well. Um, and, and they have stated at the back it will be back at some point but I don't know when so uh, for now I will just console myself with a brilliant 12 issue run which is what that was uh, coming to an end so yeah that's pretty much as, as far as it goes in terms of the releases from the 29th of uh, January we'll just finish off the, the podcast again with what are our picks for this week uh, now this week's a bit of a strange one uh it's not the biggest week in general anyway, but anyone who follows us on social media will know we'll always post uh, updates on there, keep people informed. But there are going to be a few titles missing this week uh, that were due, uh, due to Diamond and their eternally great uh, delivery companies. So with that information in mind, why don't you start with what you're looking forward to? Robbie? Yeah, so... Uh... <laughs> Definitely had, was really looking forward to Gideon Falls 21, but it is on the aforementioned list of delays. So I, th I think I've got about five or six books coming. I thought um, I thought maybe I had only about two or three, but when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, actually I have quite a lot. 
But um, yeah, they do that. They multiply. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so apart from Gideon Falls, which we'll have to wait a week, uh, the end of Martian Manhunter is. I cannot wait for that book to finish. I cannot wait to read it, but um, it's almost a shame it's come together. I think it's going to be an awesome, awesome trade. Loving what DC are doing with those 12-issue maxi series. Um, that is a trade that was solicited this month as well. So oh, Brill. Due April, all um, 12 issues. Yeah, that's um, Steve, Steve Orlando, isn't it? Steve Orlando yeah. and Riley, Riley Russell. <sighs> yeah, can't wait for that one. And the other one is the return of Isola. I think it's number ten, I believe, coming out. So that's Brendan Fletcher and Carl Kirsch. That's a, it's a great little fantasy series from Image. It's been on a break for quite a while. Um, I think they're also it's going to become a series in its own right. So yeah, looking forward to that one. Been been a while since I've seen it. So looking forward to it coming back. And that's that's pretty much me. I've got a few others, but uh, I think everyone else might be taking those. Oh, Roddy, I've got more bad news for you. Oh, no. <laughs> Isola is also on that list. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, flip. Oh. Uh, just for just to be clear, just anyone who listens this has pulled this with us. The titles that are delayed by a week are After Realm Quarterly, uh, which I'm quite looking forward to. That's the Michael Avon Oeming one. Uh, you've got Agretta Suku, uh, Backtrack, Birthright, Buffy, Crowded, Gideon Falls, Isola, Magicians, which is one that I was looking forward to. Uh, Man Who Effed Up Time, Manifest Destiny, Marked, Money Shot, Noman Omen, Power Rangers, Turtles, Usagi, Yojimbo. The Joys of Diamond comic distributors. <laughs> and they're, due to unforeseen circumstances, beyond our control. Uh, that That's actually uh, something you're seeing come true, Roddy, as a reader of Olympia. Yes, I love there. Was it issue two? Yeah. Issue two is a wee dig at diamonds. I really enjoyed that. So it was. It was se- quite good. Seek it out, everyone. <laughs> uh, and yourself, Vic, you had mentioned Magicians Four. What else that is actually coming in? Are you looking forward to? So we've got Ant Man number one. So um, I know it was one of my picks that I put on the board a couple of months ago. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing that because um, I've not really read my. I've not read any Ant Man, so it'll be curious to see what that's like do you know who's on that uh i can find out for you while vicky continues to talk and then obviously it was going to be in magicians number four because that's been quite a good we indie series that, um is it boom again alan yep which is, is which is a really another good one that i've been enjoying and then i've got butcher of paris number three um which obviously is based on a true story and it's sort of it's a hard one to say that I enjoy the book because obviously <laughs> what happens in the book, but it it's a good read and to see what um actually I is. really enjoyed the first two. It's an interesting point in history. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my picks for cool. this week. How about yourself, Keith? Uh, Doctor Doom number five by Christopher Cantwell for me. Uh, that has been a great series so far. Yeah, I'm uh, really enjoying it as well. So. Chip Zdarsky's, Zdarsky's X-Men Fantastic Four number one. That's going to be pulling together uh, Marvel's first family and uh, the new uh, Krakoa-based, uh, so I guess. something all links back yeah, to House and Powers. Yeah, to that very first issue of House where, uh, uh, the, where Scott was trying to, Cyclops appeared to in order to bring Sabretooth. Uh, and he was like, he's, he's a mutant, he's under our jurisdiction. And there was a bit of an argument and there was a wee comment that Scott made, which was effectively, 
you know, obviously Franklin's a mutant, so if he ever wants to come home, welcome he'd be anytime. more than welcome. So I think that's coming right off the back of that, and with uh, Chip Zdarsky on it, that'll be that'll be it's interesting. The, it's Terry Dodson on art for that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah, it is. And lastly then, I think I am looking forward to Greg Pack on Star Wars Darth Vader number one. Uh, just to see just to see how it goes. There's a couple more things on, on my list that I'll really be looking forward to, but that's my that's my top three for uh, for this coming week. Cool. Uh, and then mm-hmm. myself, uh, mixture of DC and Marvel, uh, Batman 88 coming this week. So obviously we talked before a little bit about 87. I thought it was variable in quality compared certainly to 86, but I have a lot of faith in James Tinian, so I'm hoping that'll get things back on track. Uh, we have the Harleen hardcover coming out this week, which we've ordered in plenty of to the store. Uh, can't say it enough. I know we never really did our end of year review show because we record so much these days. But Harleen for me was title of last year. And I don't say that lightly in the year of House and Powers of Ten and Spider-Man Life Story. But Harleen was just exceptional. Uh, and for me, the title of last year. So the hardcover collection of that site. And then we finish off once again with our good friend, Mr. Zdarsky, continuing the Lord's work in Daredevil number 17. Lovely. Looking forward to that one. So that is everything for uh, the 5th of February. So pleasure as always, guys. Um, We'll cut it there because we have a previous podcast to record. Thank you very much. (laughs) Keep on winging it. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Coffee and Heroes, a comic book and coffee shop in Smithfield Market, Belfast. You can find us on all the usual social media outlets, at Coffee Heroes 1 on Twitter, at Coffee and Heroes on Instagram, and just search Coffee and Heroes on Facebook. This podcast is also produced in association with Fracture Press, an independent comic label also based in Belfast. You can find Fracture Press on all major social media platforms. If you do like what we do, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and most importantly, spread the word.